Let's open up our Bibles. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to verse 3 to 14, and then after that we're going to Galatians. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. Uh, I didn't mean this. Uh, I've got the ESV in front of me, so I'll just read from the ESV. <laughs> Sorry, Anna's preaching from the CSV. But that's okay. Anyway, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. Um, would you follow along with me? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. We're going to turn to now the book of Galatians. We're going to Galatians chapter 4. If you have a Bible, it's the book before Ephesians. Galatians chapter 4. And we're going to verse 4 to 7. Let me read. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Amen. This is the word of God. Man, how good was that uh, testimony? It, um, I was hoping you'd leave the tissues up here for me as well. So <laughs> it, uh, it really made me think about a young guy uh, I know called Arden. Uh, Arden came to our church in the first year of church, was not a Christian, uh, and was pretty dead set against being a Christian as well. And I remember he, um, he left our church very clearly not a Christian. Um, not long later, uh, he became one, uh, and he's trusted in the Lord Jesus as his own saviour, and this Sunday he's getting baptised, uh, which is wonderful. I'll be with you guys, not salty. It's, uh, it's, I'm, great. I'm very glad. I'd, ra- I'd rather be here than anywhere else. But uh, it just brings so much joy to my heart to see things like that. And I think uh, Pastor Paul and I share the same heart because just as he was sharing, I was just thinking, man, for all of us who grew up in church, for all of us who've been Christians for such a long time, 
uh, heed the warning of, of Revelation 2 to the church in Ephesus. Don't forget your first love. Don't forget your first love. Uh, remember what it was like to love the Lord Jesus like that and never let that go. Can I say, I love you guys so much. I love this church so dearly. Uh, you guys are a church I pray for uh, almost weekly recently, and, and that may, means a lot to me. I, every Wednesday, I pray for the world. This is my, uh, my personal devotion sort of thing. I know preachers like to alliterate. So Monday, I pray for ministry and mission. Tuesday, I pray for the tasks ahead of me. Wednesday, I pray for the world uh, and, and world concerns. Sydney's very far away, so you guys come in with world. Uh, Thursday, I pray for my team. I know it's a stretch, staff team, church council. Friday, I pray for family and friends. Saturday, I pray for sinners. And Sunday, I pray for saints. Uh, people keep trying to figure out which category they're in, whether it's Saturday or Sunday. Um, but you guys mean a lot to me and our church. Uh, we love you guys dearly. We pray for you guys often uh, and... You know, if I get guys that move up, I, I had a guy who was going to move up here to take a job at a law firm, but he turned it down in the end. And he goes, well, if I come to Sydney, I'm going to come to Kingsway. Um, so that, that's the plan. It was the plan until he turned the job down and stayed in Melbourne. But uh, should we get guys that move up to Sydney, uh, straight to you guys that we're sending them because we value the deep things that we share. Uh, can, can I pray for us? God, we uh, praise you for the gift of your son, that in his death, you demonstrate your love for us, and by the Spirit, you seal your love for us. These things we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. There, there was once a, a rail bridge that actually spanned across a very great river. And, and every single day as the trains approached that river across the bridge, there was a controller and he'd lower, pull this lever and he would lower the bridge each and every day that would allow the trains to cross. That, that controller, he was a gentleman, a, a loving man, who lived with his one and only son. And can I tell you, this, this train controller, he, he loved his son more than anything or anyone else in the world. And every day his son would accompany his dad to work. One day, as the man and his son were walking home away from the bridge, they, they heard in the distance the sound of a train approaching the bridge. The controller looked at his watch. No, 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 this, this, this shouldn't be. The last train should have already passed. But there it was, unmistakably, an oncoming train with hundreds of passengers on board. And the bridge was up. The man and his son ran as fast as they could back to the control room to lower that bridge. And he told his son, no, no, don't come with me. Wait by the lake instead. But the boy wanted nothing more than to help his own dad save that train full of innocent passengers. So unbeknownst to his dad, that boy, he climbed down the bridge to access the emergency lever. But as he climbed down into the gears of that bridge, he stumbled and he fell into the gears of the drawbridge and he cried out to his dad for help. He said, Dad, save me. The man heard the cries of his son. He, he was about to leave the control room to, to go and save his son. But as he was about to step out, he looked over and he saw that train approaching the bridge drawn up faster and faster and faster. And in that moment, 
The controller faced the impossible choice. If I pull the lever, I crush my son. But if I don't, I crash the train. What do I do? Who do I save? My son? Well, the hundreds of innocent passengers on that train. The father did the unthinkable. He pulled the lever. He lowered the bridge. He crushed his son. All so that those innocent passengers of that train might cross and live, never to know the salvation that that controller had won for them. Friends, you can see that the story kind of that God is that controller who did the unthinkable. He, he pulled that lever. He, he lowered that bridge. He crushed his son. All to save us on that train. It's a moving story, isn't it? It's a powerful story that, that tugs on our heartstrings and helps us see, my gosh, what, 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 what a choice. Can I tell you, friends, I hate that story. I hate that story. Because if that is the story of the gospel, then God the Father is nothing more than a helpless man cornered into an impossible situation. Jesus is nothing more than a hapless boy who's unwillingly crushed by the Father. And you and I apparently are innocent passengers with no moral responsibility at all. No, it's a moving story. It's a powerful story. It's a beautiful story. But it is not the story of the gospel. If anything, it undermines the gospel. It says that God the Father didn't actually want to save you. It says that he doesn't even love us. It says that he saved us not because he wanted to. It says that God only saved us because he had to. But I think the most galling part of that story is this. It pits the father against the son. It actually divides the trinity. The father crushes the son, but the son doesn't want to be crushed. It means that the Father sent the Son to die for us, but the Son was an unwilling participant in this. It means, according to this story, that God wanted to save you, but Jesus never did. No, friends, we cannot believe that, because according to the Bible, there is one God who was one plan for one people. The Father planned your salvation. The Son accomplished your salvation. And the Spirit sealed your salvation. Only yesterday we were saying that the phrase, I love you, can mean so many different things to different people, can't it? Sometimes we say, I love you, and what we really mean is, I need you. That's not love, that's dependence. But do you realize other people, when they say, I love you, what they really mean is, I love you, but only if. So the father who says to his daughter, I love you, but only if you obey me. 
the wife who says to her husband, or the husband who says to his wife, I love you, but only if you give up all your friends for me. That the friend who says to his best mate, I, I love you, but only if you hang out with me. Can I say that? That's not a dependent love, but it's a conditional love, isn't it? I was just talking to some, some of you beforehand, and I said, you know, when, when you get married, what are the vows that you say, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health? But do you realize we can't qualify that promise with a circumstance? No, no, no it's, it's an unconditional love. The only condition on your marriage vow is life and death. Now, when we wield a conditional love, I love you, but only if, do you realize we're actually wielding it as a threat to bend the other person to our will? And when they don't satisfy that condition, what do we do? We withdraw our love. We we punish them by taking a step back from that relationship. The daughter who doesn't obey her father, the dad then says, then I don't love you in order to get his daughter to obey him. No, friends, that's not love. A conditional love, sadly, is nothing more than manipulation. It's how we think God loves us, though, isn't it? Somewhere in our hearts, we tend to think that God loves me, but only if I obey him. God saves me, but only if I'm good enough for him. And then the moment comes. It comes for us all, doesn't it? We fail. We sin, we stumble, we fall, and then we're afraid. We're afraid that God will withdraw his love. We're afraid that he'll take a step back from the relationship. When I commit that sin that is so grave that that I just can't get it out of my head or my heart or my memory, we're afraid that God will stop loving us, that he'll kick us out of the kingdom. That it will strip away our salvation. Thank God that God, thank God that he doesn't love us like we do. (laughs) He loved us because he loved us. He, He planned our salvation not based on our obedience. He planned our salvation before we were even born. Look, look at Ephesians 1. The apostle Paul says that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless in love before him. Or, or in 1 Peter 1, we read that we've been chosen according to the, to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Or in Romans 8, we, we see this beautiful chain of salvation that starts all the way back before time. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Can you see from Ephesians and Peter and Romans, God's love for you and his plan for your salvation existed not only before you were born, it existed before time itself began. And that means there is nothing you can do, nothing that you've done that will ever change God's love for you. Before God created this world, He knew your name. Before he created this world, he had your name on his heart. 
You know that word for new that you see up there? It doesn't mean that God just had some knowledge, that as if God looked through the tunnel of time to see those who would choose him and then he saved them in response. No, no, in the Bible, the language to know someone means to love someone. To know someone means to love someone. Do you know what that means? It means God for knowing us means God for loving us. You and I have been chosen according to the for loving of God the Father. You see, before time began itself, God had already set his heart on you in love. God doesn't say, I I love you, but only if you obey me. Because he's loved you before eternity passed. The Father planned your salvation from eternity past. Can I say, our sin doesn't come as a surprise to God. It's not an unexpected train that somehow catches him off guard. Many of us are loath to admit it, but we all have that one sin in our life, whether we've acted on it or not. It could be in our hands or our heart or in our mind, but it is a sin that we are so ashamed of. A sin which we just wish we could erase from our lives. A sin which, it's like Lady Macbeth, right? You just can't scrub the blood off your hands. And we're so shocked by it. How in the world could I have committed a sin like that? Can I say it comes as no surprise to God. And yet he still loves you. No, God planned our salvation before we could do anything good or bad to deserve it or not. In Romans 9, Paul explains how it is that God chose Jacob over Esau before either of them were born. And this is what he says. For though Rebekah's sons had not yet been born or done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to election might stand, not from works but from the one who calls, she was said, the older will serve the younger. Friends, you see what Paul is saying? God planned our salvation before we'd been born, before we'd done anything good, before we'd done anything bad, before we deserved it and before we didn't deserve it. God has unconditionally chosen you in love. Unconditionally. Sometimes we think that our God is a bit like the sports captain back in our PE class in primary school. You remember what it was like, don't you? For some of you, you were more like me, the kid waiting to be chosen. For others of you, you were like the, school, the, the, the sports captain doing the choosing. Two captains stand at the front. And one by one, they choose their team. It's awful. It's just trauma that they inflict on children right across our country. But who do they choose? They stand there, stand here, and they look, they survey them. You can see them just judging you in that moment. I'll choose that guy. I'll choose that guy. Who do they choose? The fittest, the tallest, the fastest, the strongest. They choose Peter Jung, right? That's who I would choose. And who do they leave to the end? You're all thinking about someone here, aren't you? (laughs) The smallest, the shortest, the slowest, the weakest. Don't look around. You're all thinking of this. I don't even know who you're thinking of. But you see, in that moment, you're thinking, 
If God is like that, I've got no chance. God wouldn't choose me. God wouldn't save me. Look at me. If you could see into my heart, you would spit in my face. You'd see my sin, my shame, my past. All the baggage and all the mistakes. Why would God say someone like me? Why would God love someone like me? God saved you not because of you. He saved you all because of him. He saved you because he loved you. And he loves you because he loved you. That's how simple it is. God's love is unconditional in every way. He planned your salvation from the beginning of time. He knew exactly what sort of person you would be with all your sin and all your shame. And still, he chose to love you. Nothing you can do could make him love you more. And nothing that you've done could make him close the door. Friends, I want you to hear what one author uh, writes. Most Christians eventually ask why God saved them and not their unbelieving mother, brother, friend or neighbour. They toy with bad answers. God knew I would choose him. God thought I might be helpful for his work on earth. God thinks I'm special. But if any of these answers were true, our salvation would depend on us. That can't be The only answer to the question of why God saved you is because he loved you. You see, when the Father says, I love you, he doesn't mean I love you, but only if you obey me. No, when he says, I love you, he means I love you. Because he planned your salvation from eternity past. But not every plan comes to fruition, does it? Indeed, not every plan for love comes to fruition. I've seen the best of friendships fall out over the smallest of faults. Marriages which start so well suddenly end in divorce. And gosh, if we learn anything over the past few years, isn't it that the pain of plans that are frustrated by circumstance... Having a plan, even love, a plan of love, doesn't guarantee an outcome. The the controller, he had a plan to save the train and his son, but, but he didn't work out either, did it? The son had a plan to help his dad, and that didn't work out either. No, no, having a plan doesn't guarantee an outcome. Unless, of course, the one who plans and the one who acts is God himself. You see, friends, God the Father plans our salvation. And God the Son accomplishes our salvation. In John chapter 10, Jesus calls himself, I am the good shepherd. Now, I'm not much of a shepherd. I don't really like sheep very much. 
The best I can do is a cat at home called Carson. When it comes to a loving relationship, I much prefer people. But I want you to see what Jesus says about his love for you and me. It's right there in John 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Think about that. How does the son accomplish that plan of salvation? He lays his life down for you. He dies the death that you deserve. And it's not because he has to, right? It's because he wants to. Please don't think that somehow Jesus was that reluctant child. It's not as if the father sacrificed the son, but the son didn't want to die. It's not as if the father wanted to save us, but but the son didn't want to save us. No, no, no. Jesus willingly went to the cross. Look at what he says. This is why the father loves me. Because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. Jesus says, I have the right to lay it down. And I have the right to take it up again. Friends, I want you to know, Jesus was not reluctant to die for you. Jesus was not backed into into a corner with no choice and no options. Jesus was not some hapless young boy who hopelessly falls into the gears of a drawbridge. No, no, Jesus willingly chose to die for you because just like the Father, he loved you from eternity past. You know, a good friend of mine once told me, he said, Adam, I really struggle to accept grace. I know you tell me every time I sin, I should just go back to God, go back to Jesus, but I feel bad, I feel guilty for what I've done to Jesus. Now, I want to say that there's a right sense that we sh- in which we should be convicted of our sin. But let's be clear, Jesus wasn't some unwilling victim of our sin. It's not as if you've dragged Jesus kicking and screaming to the cross. No, he willingly chose the cross to save you. The good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. In fact, if we reject grace out of guilt, we dishonor the gift that Jesus willingly and intentionally paid for us. If we say, you you find those moments, don't you? I know Jesus has forgiven me, but I just can't forgive myself. But if I say that, then I'm saying that Jesus' gift of grace is not good enough. I'm saying that Jesus' death wasn't worth enough. No, friends, you need to know the Son willingly and joyfully accomplished the Father's plan to save you from your sin. The Father and the Son share one plan and one love for the one people. You see, friends, I want you to know something else. Jesus didn't die to save just anyone. He died to save you. And when I say you, I don't just mean a generic, you know, royal you. I mean, no, you. Look at what he says in John 10. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. 
Just look. Who did Jesus die to save? The sheep the Father has given to him. In John 17, we see that same phrase over and over and over again. Jesus prays for those you have given me. You see, everyone whom the Father chooses, the Son saves. We have one God with one plan for one people. Friends, we need to get this into the marrow of our bones. The Father and the Son have one plan to secure your salvation. That before he created the world, God the Father chose you. And as he hung on the cross, God the Son saved you. You know, years ago when growing up, I used to think that Jesus never really died for me. I thought his love was an offer at the cross. But it was all up to me to take him up on that offer. That in the cross, Jesus extends something, but now it's all up to me. I thought that God extended his hand to anyone and everyone, but it was on me to reach then out my hand and to grasp his hand. But if that's true, then I can't actually say that Jesus willingly died for me, can I? He died for someone, but it wasn't for me. I can't say that Jesus actually accomplished my salvation. He, he may have enabled it. He may, may have made it possible, but he sure as heck did not accomplish it. It felt like my salvation was a gift that Jesus bought for someone and then he put under the tree for anyone to open. But what I didn't realize was that my salvation is a gift that Jesus bought not just for anyone. It's a gift that he bought for me. It's a gift with my name written on it. And I want you to know that there is a gift. And it's the greatest gift in the world. Its value is beyond all measure. Gosh, it's so precious that God the Son bought it at the cost of his own life. And when you walk to that tree, and you look under that tree, you will find that gift and on it, Jesus has written your name. For Mark. For Rachel. For Sarah. For Amy. Your salvation is a gift that God the Father planned from before time began. It's a gift that Jesus bought through the death, through his death on the cross. And it's a gift that Jesus bought all for you. I want you to think about that story that we opened with that the bridge control about the bridge controller and his son. I want you to imagine that you're you're one of the passengers on that train. And without you realizing that that controller has just saved your life, but, but you have no relationship with that controller, do you? I mean the controller loves his son, but he doesn't actually love you. The train passes over that bridge. It goes on its merry way. But you don't know the controller. You don't love the controller. He may have saved you from death, but all for what? What's to say that there isn't another bridge? What's to say there isn't another tragedy that lies ahead? 
You may have been saved in that one moment from a man who you don't know and will never know again, but there is no assurance of eternal salvation. What gives us the assurance of eternal salvation? How can we be sure that there isn't another bridge? What's to say that another tragedy doesn't lie ahead? I want you to know that the Father who sent the Son to save us sends the Spirit to seal us. The Spirit seals our salvation. He he unites us with the Son. He connects us with Jesus. He makes all of us children of God. Uh, Look with me at Ephesians 1 that Pastor Paul read for us just before. In Him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. You see, the Spirit seals us, and He seals us in Christ. He permanently unites us with Jesus. And when we're united with the Son, all that was forever His is now forever ours. Nothing can take that away. Jesus' blessings are now forever ours. His righteousness is forever ours. And above all, his status as a child of God is now forever ours. His relationship with God the Father is forever ours. The Father's love for Jesus is now forever ours. The Spirit unites us with the Son and makes us sons and daughters of God. Do you realize when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we don't pray the Father who art in heaven. We can now pray our Father who art in heaven forever. I don't know what word you use to address your father. Many of you might probably might say dad. I call my, uh, my, my dad pa, which is like the Chinese word for dad. I'm guessing... That very few, very few of you call him father. It'd be a bit weird, wouldn't it? Good morning, father. When we say dad, it's, it's so much more intimate, isn't it? So much more person. It's a word that, that shows that this isn't just any father. No, he's mine. In Galatians 4, Paul writes, Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You see, in Aramaic, Abba is the intimate, personal word for dad. Someone's got to do a cultural, etymological study on this, because it seems that that is the word in every culture for dad. So you and I now can call God Abba Father. Ba, because he's not just the Father, he's now God, my Father, our Father forever. But I know that not all of us have much faith in fathers. Some of our dads haven't walked with us. Some of our dads have walked away from us. Some of us have dads who, instead of accepting us, abandoned us. And all too many dads I know can be physically there, and yet somehow not truly loving Friends, I want to say if that's your experience, I want you to know that the Spirit seals you with God the Father forever. And He guarantees that God your Father will never walk away from you. He will never abandon you. 
No, no, the Father who chose you and sent his Son to save you, sends his Spirit to seal you in his love forever. Ephesians 1.14 says that the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance. The, the guarantee, the security of God's love and our salvation. If we're honest, I think deep down, so many of us are afraid, aren't we? We're afraid of living a loveless life. We might fear or think that to be unmarried means to be unloved. We think that a dating relationship will provide the love that, that we've been searching for our whole lives. And we think that now we're married, oh gosh, the other person made me a promise, it secured a perfect love forever. But all of those loves, as beautiful as they are, will never truly satisfy. Can I say, friends, if you've been saved and sealed by the triune God, you cannot live a loveless life. It's impossible. The Spirit guarantees that you cannot live a loveless life. The Spirit secures you into a life of eternal love. Gosh, it's not just any love. The Spirit seals you into the eternal selfless love between the Father and the Son. God takes the perfect love within the Trinity itself, overflows it to you, and then locks it in by His Spirit. I want you to listen to how the Son prays to the Father in John 17, and it's breathtaking. This is what Jesus says to the Father. I am in them, and you are in me, so that they may be made completely one. That the world may know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Did you, do you realize how borderline blasphemous that sounds? That God the Father loves you, friends, as he loves his own Son. The Spirit seals our salvation so that now the Father loves you just like he loves Jesus. The love that exists within the Trinity is now yours to enjoy. The Spirit doesn't just extend that love to you. No, he includes you into that fellowship of love. The Spirit who binds the love of the Father and the Son now binds the love of the Father for you. It's a love that will never let you go. The Father who chose you in love sent His Son to save you in love. And He sent His Spirit to seal you in His love forever. There was once a God who existed before time itself. He existed as Father, Son, and Spirit. And all three persons were perfectly happy and perfectly content. Every moment before time itself existed was pure joy and undiminished love. And yet, the love within this God was so great that he decided to create a people with whom he might share it. 
In fact, he created a people whom he would love just as much as he loved his own son. He didn't need to. He wanted to. And he wanted to demonstrate his love for this people in the most beautiful of ways. And before time began, the Father, Son and Spirit sat down together and the Father asked this question to the Son and the Spirit. What gift might demonstrate the extent of my love for humanity? What gift might show these people how much I really love them? I know. I'll give them my son to die for them. I'll give them my spirit to seal them in that love forever. Yes, then. Then they'll know how much I love them. Then they'll know I love them just like Jesus, I love you. I love that story. And that is a story worth telling over and over and over again. Let me pray. Love so amazing, love so divine, demands our souls, our lives, our all. Isn't it amazing love? How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? That before the world began, we were on your mind. And you loved us from the beginning of time. Thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die the death that we deserve. To seal our salvation by your spirit. That there is one God with one plan for one people for all eternity. Amen. Amen. I'm just going to invite us to spend a bit of time in prayer. So if you would just continue in a spirit of prayer with me. I want us to sit on under the truth of what Adam showed us in the Word, that God loves us. God loves you personally, specifically. Before, not only when, before you were born, but before the universe existed. And God loves you because He loves you. He loves you not because you're good. He loves you, in fact, even when, when you're not good because of Jesus Christ. And in Christ, this love is ours. And neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, things present nor to come, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate you from the love of God that is in Jesus. Can we just sit under this truth that we are loved by God? And maybe if it's hard to believe, wrestle with that. Tell yourself that. This is what God's Word says. If God is real and this is His Word, this is what He says, He loves you. He loves you and sent His Son to die for you. And if you believe this and it is true to you, Give thanks to God for this love and help 
ask Him to help you to grow in gratitude of this love every day. Let's just spend a bit of time sitting under this truth that God loves you.